Good morning, Evan Hope. It's a blessing to be here. I am excited to be here. As you know, there's a very important event taking place this Tuesday. What is that event? An election, right? Super Tuesday. Within the last month, I've probably received a whole bunch of emails. My emails have spanned from all sorts of different things. And let me tell you, some of them have made me quite passionate. Some of those emails have really, in my opinion, have fueled sensationalism, emotionalism. Some people have just ran with some of these emails and some of them say of an impending Armageddon taking place. Some of them have talked about martial law taking place before the election and then the world's impending doom or to stock up on beans and rice now, while these people may have good intentions, and trust me, we're going to examine where we are in Bible prophecy, what I want us to do is I want us to be people of the word, not people of the headlines. Amen? Another thing that I've been a little bit passionate about is this upcoming collection. I'm not passionate for the Republican side. I'm not passionate for the Democrats either. But I'm passionate as a Christian. I'm passionate about Christian and the society and the ideals that we stand for. I'll admit I share a lot of similarities with the grand old party, especially when it comes to society, when it comes to morals. I also share some, some beliefs with the Democrats, how they believe in a clear separation between church and states. But what I don't, what I am not a fan of, and what I don't subscribe to is propagating your party to the point where we have division in the church. I should have gotten more amens than that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Precious Father, hear my cry, O Lord, and take away my sins. I admit that I'm a man of unclean lips that needs to be purged from your altar above. I pray, Lord, that as we study this topic, one of utmost importance, that you'll give me a clear direction where to go. As you know that I've been preparing for this sermon, my brain's been scatterbrained. I haven't understood exactly the best message for your people, but I know that you do. And so I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to convict my heart to present the truths that are necessary to prepare us for your soon coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Once every four years, we have a very special event. It's not the Olympics. It's known as Super Tuesday. It is an event that is preceded by millions of dollars being spent on campaigning. Thousands of volunteers world, nationwide pouring their hearts into getting people to vote for the candidate of choice. The last two elections have been quite interesting. In 2000, we had one of the most controversial elections, one that featured one person winning by a margin of, of 300 or so votes. Then the last one we had, another interesting campaign, another interesting election where we had another slim margin of victory. This election seems to be by far the most talked about, the most, shall I say, controversial, the talk of the town. We've, we've seen already in the Democratic Party someone who is black and a woman compete to be the front runner of their party. 
We've seen in the grand old party, the Republicans, make a stunning decision for a vice presidential nominee in Sarah Palin. So here we have the cards of a monumental election, something that hasn't happened before. In addition to that, we've seen record number of voters already registered to vote. We've seen million dollars of people just throwing their money into the campaigns they believe in. In addition to the presidential election, we have some propositions as well that are looking to shape the way that we look at things, the way that we see our, our, our financial system here in California. We see things the way that it blurs church and state with the additions of Proposition 4 and Proposition 8. We are looking to blur the lines between church and state. Now, I'm not here to propagate my beliefs on different things. I'm not here to talk about what I believe, but instead I want to share some truths from the Bible. And I see some people who can't quite hear me. Can everyone hear me fine? No. Can we turn the volume up? There's a lot of people in the back who can't hear, and they're asking if we can turn the volume up, if you don't mind. Can you hear me now? Better? Better. Okay, thank you. As I stated before, the one thing that has gripped me the most are the different hate emails that I've been getting. Ones that have attacked someone's race and religious beliefs. Another attacking someone's, someone's gender. Posting video posts featuring some candidate on Saturday Night Live. Are we vindicating the character of Christ by subscribing to these things? I want to read something very interesting. I'm reading from Fundamentals of Education, page 475. It comes from Ellen White's writings. Now, for those of you who don't believe that Ellen White is a prophet, at least you can do me this favor and say that she was instrumental in helping start the Adventist church and she should be respected as one. Now, I personally believe that she is one that we should subscribe to. I personally believe that she's a prophet from the Lord. But those of you who are skeptic, at least give her the respect of her being a woman who has published more writings than any other woman in history. Found in Fundamentals of Education, page 475, the Lord would have his people bury political questions. On these themes, silence is eloquence. Christ calls upon his followers to come into unity on the pure gospel principles which are plainly revealed in the word of God. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to read next. We cannot with safety vote for political parties. For we do not know whom we are voting for. We cannot with safety take part in the, any political schemes. We cannot labor to please men who will use their influence to repress religious liberty and to set in op operation oppressive measures to lead or compel their fellow men to keep Sunday as the Sabbath. The people of God are not to vote to place such men in office. For when they do this, they are partakers with them of the sins which they commit while in office. I got one amen. That's a pretty stunning quote. Especially where we are in history. A lot of people have said, who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote? What, are your, what is your stance on this? And here we have a very clear statement by Ellen White talking about the dangers of voting for an individual. Now, let me say this. Ellen White, in my opinion, she would stand for moral issues. 
back in her days, she would stand for what was right. And I think that we should be educated people. I think we should know the issues. I think we should stand up for what's right. But at the same time, we shouldn't put our hopes in men. I think that personally for me, I'm convicted that it's fine to vote on issues, but not vote on candidates. The second quote, which is also quite sobering, is found in Selected Messages, Volume 2, Chapter 39, which is entitled, Councils on Voting. Do you know Ellen White? There, there's actually a compilation in Selected Messages that actually has a title that says, Council on Voting. Ellen White advises, whatever the opinions you entertain in regard to casting your vote in political questions, you are not to proclaim it by pen or voice. Our people need to be silent upon questions which have no relation to the third angel's message. Keep your voting to yourself. Do not feel it your duty to urge everyone to do as you do. Wow. There have been a lot of people looking at my emails in the past month, or let's just say six months, who have propagated or have said, vote for this, vote for this person, and these are the reasons why. On Facebook, people have been sending reasons why you should vote for McCain or Obama or whatever it is. And at the very heart of it, we are leaving out the third angel's message. At the very heart of us campaigning for Obama, for McCain, or whoever you support, we are forgetting to campaign for Jesus. Instead of us being... Pilgrims, instead of us being Christians, instead of us remembering that we are to be unified, instead of us remembering that we are a body of Christ that should be one mind, we are splitting hairs over political parties. I want you to think very carefully of the decisions you make this coming Tuesday. I love this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms 133 and verse 1. Psalms 133, verse 1. I don't know why anyone wouldn't like Ellen White, I, honestly. For me, she, she makes a Bible truth come in and she, she actually magnifies something in there. It makes it more present to our day and age. And for that, I'm very thankful for Miss, Mrs. White. Psalms 133, verse 1. The Bible says, are we all there? Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. If you are to vote this coming Tuesday, if you, in fact, disregard my, my advice or disregard this advice and still want to vote for a political candidate, that's between you and the Lord. But I urge you to at least not split hairs or divide family or divide religion over this issue. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. Here we're seeing Paul write to the church of Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. And when you're there, give me permission by reading by saying amen. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 6. The Bible reads, By God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For me, this right here is more important. Instead of us propagating a, a certain political candidate, we should remember this. That it's Christ who is rich in mercy, who wants us in verse 6 to raise us up together. And made us to sit together. 
You know, it's so hard to sit someone in potluck or so hard to sit someone across from you if they are just advocating exactly where they stand or telling you why you should vote for this person or that person. Let us all be united. Amen? I love this quote. One of my favorite quotes in all of Mrs. White's writings is found in Ministry of Healing, page 470. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel. Listen carefully. The strongest argument in favor is not the sanctuary message, is not righteousness by faith, is a loving and lovable Christian. How are you going to be a loving and lovable Christian if you're creating division, if you're telling someone, you need to vote for this because this person will be this and all these different things? Ellen White specifically says, you want the strongest argument in favor of the gospel? You want to win someone to Christ? Be a loving and lovable Christian. All right. My next thing that I wanted to, as I said, that has, qua- has caused quite a passion in the last few months has been this whole economic crisis, this whole idea that we're in a recession. Now, let me give you an idea that where I am. As a kid, I knew I wanted to be a business major. Economics was my favorite subject. I've always been intrigued with the Dow Jones Industrial. I traded options and I looked at different currencies. I knew economic markets. One of my favorite things was Keynesian's economics. I loved economics, and I loved the idea of business markets. When I was growing up, I, had to re- I remembered that I was really intrigued with economic markets. I knew from a child I wanted to be a business major. It was six years ago that I fell, fell in love with the Lord, and I, I realized a need, a change, one where I had to change my mind. Instead of being rich in the world, I, I needed to figure a way, how am I going to be one who lives for the Lord? I remember going through the prophecy seminars and getting the Bible studies for the first time on Revelation 13. And let's turn there and I'll show you a a passage of scripture that I I accepted by faith, but I didn't understand how we'd get there. Revelation chapter 13 and starting in verse 11. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. Some of us here, I'm sure, have read this many times before. Some of us have done Bible studies of it. Some of us have preached on this subject. When I was new in the faith and I was studying and I was looking at these truths for the first time, I have to admit I accepted everything. But to see this, I had to accept it by faith. I didn't understand. I didn't see how it was going to happen in my day and age. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11, are we all there? The Bible says, and I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means which the miracles which had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Verse 16 and 17, I'm going to emphasize this. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the number of the beast or the number of the name. 
growing into the Adventist church and understanding these truths for the first time, I remember seeing these things. I remember seeing the USA in prophecy. I remember studying Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and understanding how this beast relates to the beast in Revelation 13. But I have to be honest, I did not understand how would it be where this beast, the USA in prophecy, would, would control the financial systems. Especially my background, understanding that we are in a society that believes in capitalism. We are in a society that empowers small businesses, that is free to give credit. We will basically give free money to just about anyone. You go to any other country, and it is so hard to get loans, but here, all you need is a name and a social security number, and you can get a credit card. How would it be where a government would impose these sanctions? I had no idea. But by faith, the Bible was, was mentioning these things, and by faith, I accepted them. In the last month, that has changed my thinking. I'm beginning to see things I would have never dreamed before. Just so you know, I wanted to be in investment banking. I toyed with the idea of working for Goldman Sachs. I wanted to intern for Merrill Lynch. So it was a shock and a surprise to me when Merrill Lynch was bought out by Bank of America. It was a shock and a surprise to me that the, the very competitive Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers, which has been around since 1846, which, which survived the 1929 Great Depression, filed for bankruptcy. I began to think, what in the world is going on in these markets? Let's turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 as we reveal that the Bible has truths for the very age that we're living in. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. James chapter 5, 1 through 7, excuse me. James chapter 5, chapter 1. When you're there, give me permission by saying amen. amen. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 1, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. This is specifically talking, it seems like, to rich men, to people who are rich. If you want to look at the U.S. economy, the number one superpower in the government when it comes to uh, military, when it comes to our own financial system, did you know that if California were to become its own economy, it would be the number four e economic system in the world? California alone. We become our own country. We're the number four economic superpower in the entire world. Verse 2, your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Verse 4, behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth in the cries of them which have reaped and are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. It's real interesting how James chapter 5 talks about this financial crisis taking place and referring to the Lord of the Sabbath. And we know in Revelation 13 that the very mark of the beast relates to the Sabbath. Verse 6, you have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Verse 7, here's the good news. This is to you, to me. Be patient, therefore, brethren. I love it. Just like how Revelation 14, verse 12, talks about the patience of the saints. Here we're seeing an admonition to be patient. Therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, 
and have long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. My Bible tells me that in order for Jesus to come, right before he comes, there will be some sort of economic crisis. Something where it seems as though there will be corruption. Something where it seems as though someone who has put all their trust in riches, that the very riches that they put their trust in will be worthless. I have some interesting quotes that I wanted to share with you. Now, what I have a pet peeve is when people send me all sorts of ridiculous news that don't have a very substantiated uh, source. So I'm going to read some very interesting things that I thought you'd find. It says here, on October 2, 2008, Warren Buffett, the world's richest man, it's not Bill Gates anymore, for the first time this year, in uh, 15 years, Bill Gates was not the world's richest man, Warren Buffett replaced him. It says, this really is an economic Pearl Harbor. That sounds melodramatic, but I've never used that phrase before, and this really is one. Warren Buffett, recorded by the Associated Press on October 2, 2008. Listen to what's happening to the very banks and the things that we've put our trust in. We see in Lehman Brothers, an investment bank that predates the Civil War and whether the Great Depression filed the largest bankruptcy in American history, Associated Press, September 15, 2008. Two days later, the Fed rescues AIG in an $85 billion loan to save AIG. Then we have IndyMac Bank seized by federal regulators, the Pasadena Base thrift failure is the second in size only to the 1984 failure of Continental in Illinois Bank, July 12, 2008. On September 15, 2008, the meltdown in U.S. finance system pummels stock market. The Dow Jones, which lost more than 500 points, the steepest point drop since the day the stock market opened after September 11, about $700 billion evaporated from retirement plans, government pension funds, and investment portfolios in one day. $700 billion. Now, it's real interesting to note that last year about this time in October, did you know that the Dow Jones Industrial was at the highest mark ever? They had topped the 14,000 mark. And then one year later, they reached a low of about 8,300. One year. Friends, if that's not alarming, I don't know what is. Now, I'm not here to just give you a bunch of news to scare you. I'm not here to send you in a state of frantic emotionalism. What I'm here is to give you the facts, and then we can study the solution. Amen? With everything that's been taking place, where are we in Earth's history? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. I have just a few minutes left, so I ask as I unwind in these last few minutes that you pay careful attention, because now we are studying the most important part. We're studying where we are in Bible prophecy. We're not going to, we're going to ignore all the economic stuff we've heard. We're going to ignore all the sensational news that we've taken place. And we're going to study the Bible and the Bible alone. Amen? The Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor any tree. 
And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Let me break down what's happening. You have four angels. Think of these mighty angels holding back the winds of strife. And they have been commanded to let go and let the winds of strife take place on the earth. But right when they're about to let go, another angel comes. And then verse 3. This angel screaming at the top of his lungs saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Beloved, God is not waiting for a Sunday law. God is not waiting for another child to die of AIDS in Africa. God is not waiting on what the government does. He's waiting on you and me. Look where we are in Bible prophecy. Go to Revelation 6 now and verse 12 as we study the six seals. The seven seals. Here we are at the sixth one. In verse 12, the Bible says, And behold, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Have these events happened, yes or no? Yes. Lisbon, Portugal. November 1, 1755. You can read this in Great Controversy, page 304 and 305. You can also read this if you type in Lisbon, Portugal in Google. You have one of the greatest earthquakes to ever take place, rock the city of Lisbon, Portugal. This earthquake was so strong, it was felt in, I believe, three or four continents. It was felt all the way in Africa. The next event, the sun turned black. May 19, 1780, in the New England states, a religious awakening was taking place. Our forefathers were, were getting ready to start what would be one of the greatest movements, one of the greatest awakenings ever. And we have on May 19, 1780, the sun turns black. They said, newspaper reports, it was so dark, it was so black, you could put your hand in front of you and you couldn't see it. That same night, that same night, the moon turned into blood. I, what, usually when I do this presentation, I actually have the newspaper clippings of those times and age which records it. For those of you who haven't read it, I, I ask you, go ahead and Google it. Go look at these newspaper reports. It's quite fascinating. Verse 13. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, where she is shaken of a mighty wind. In November 13, 1833, the stars were seen falling. First one, then two, then billions upon billions of stars. The stars lit up the, the sky in such a way that it was recorded that you can actually take out a newspaper and read it because of the stars that lit up the sky. That happened again in November 13, 1833. Notice the next one, verse 14. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Has that happened, beloved? Has every mountain been displaced? Have we seen the heavens depart as scrolls? Where are we in Bible prophecy? Friends, we are right here. 
November 13, 1833, that was the last big prophecy that were to take place according to this seal. In verse 14, the very next event that follows that is the second coming. For those who think we are not living at the end of times, you need to study your Bible. If we were to study Daniel chapter 2 and we look at the image, I like how some evangelists say, we are not at the feet, we are at the very toenails of time. Beloved, this right here is what should motivate you to get ready. This right here, studying the prophecies of where we're at, studying Daniel and Revelation, should be at the center of your heart to, to teach and preach this to, do, to your friends and family. These prophecies of Daniel and Revelation have been gift wrapped for you and I. No other church, no other people have been given this special gift of Daniel and Revelation. And here we are as Seventh-day Adventists subscribing to this ridiculous news and hearing all these different things and saying, wow, I should listen to this or now I should give my heart to the Lord. Friends, we do not study guidelines. We study the Bible. We need to study, we need to be serious students of prophecy. With the recession, with the election, what, is, what, is, what has that done for our society and where we live in? Before I do that, I want, to, I want to read this, this quote to you. Ellen White gives us some encouraging statements. In a compilation book, Help in Daily Living, page 6, she says... For those of you who are experiencing maybe some stress because you've lost your retirement plan, or maybe you've lost your 401k is not the 401k, it's your 401dk, right? Ellen White says this, often our plans fail that God's plan for us may succeed. Amen. You can go ahead and look at your 401k, you can look at your stock market portfolio, and you can understand and realize that even though you have lost maybe everything, our plans fail. Sometimes they fail in order for God's plan to succeed. Quote number five I wanted to read to you is, again in the book, Help in Daily Living. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for a for us, of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Some of you may not understand, where am I to go now? What am I to do? I've lost it all. My house is in foreclosure. My marriage is a mess. Lord, I thought I was following your will. We can take this to the bank, that our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide, of which we know nothing. We don't have the slightest clue. A lot of times when we look at a problem, we see one solution. When God looks at the problem, what we thought was a solution is just another way of making the problem worse. What God wants us to do is he wants us to lay those problems at the feet of Christ. And he wants us to say, my child, I will provide for all your needs. Claim Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. 
with everything that's been said and done, with the recession, what has it done to our society? I find it so interesting. We are in a society that has cell phones, that has fax machines, that has internet, that has email, that has text message, that has all these methods of communication, yet according to these studies, we're more disconnected more than ever. We're more impersonal more than ever. Depression rates are higher than ever. Listen to this, this article that I've just pulled up. Student depression rates rising. Today's college students are twice as likely to be depressed and three times more likely to be suicidal than they were a decade ago. For a variety of reasons, school is more stressful than it was 10 years ago. Researchers examined the changes in the problems of students who visited counseling centers at Kansas State University. The study, which included 13,000 students, found that over a 13-year period of time, the percentage of students with depression rates rose 21% to 41%. The percentage of suicidal students rose from 5 to 9%, and students with stress and anxiety problems rose from 36 to 62%. There are many possible reasons for the increase in depression and other stress-related issues, including more academic competition and financial stress. Counseling centers na uh, nationwide, however, have said that the depressed economy has caused more stress than grades. There's a perception among our students that there are not that many opportunities in the workplace and that they feel a lot of pressure to stand out. So here we are, in the midst of a severe economic recession, a couple of days before the election. Our students, our families in depression. What is the solution? Let's go to our, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible as we close. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. Matthew 13, verse 45 and 46. Are we all there, amen? The Bible says in Matthew 13, verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The solution to this recession, the solution to the election, the solution to the depression is none other than Christ. Is none other Christ that he be lifted up. Is none other than our, our magnificent obsession. Is none other than Christ, the matchless charms of Christ. Is none other than Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the author and the finisher. Why do we go around with our heads down? Why do we go around defeated? Why are we going around saying, I've lost it all? Friends, God poured all of heaven. He risked it all in one gift, and that was Jesus. That Jesus would come down, that they would sell everything, all of heaven, they put into this one gift in Jesus. If Jesus did not succeed on the cross, it's over. They risk all of heaven for you and me. 
Could you believe that? Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of the universe, that he could not see through the portals of time, that he gave up this, this ability to be everywhere at once, to be trapped in a human body for you and I? Christ, our magnificent obsession. Christ, the one who we should be worshiping. Christ, the one who is the finisher of our faith. In times like this, when the economy is down, in times like this, when it seems as though we've lost it all, just remember, Christ would have given up all of heaven for you and I. Are you willing to give up everything you have for Christ? If you are, I ask you stand with me. Precious Father, we come before you Understanding that we are on the brink, we are on the edge, there is no other event, no other time prophecy that needs to happen for you to come. 2,300 days has been fulfilled, Revelation 6 has been fulfilled, the only thing that we're waiting for is to see the clouds depart as a scroll. But Lord, what you are waiting for is for your people, your people to give up all the idols we have in our life, to realize the things that we have in our lives, the monetary goods, the possessions that we have, that it's worthless. Help us, Lord, to come to that point to be like that merchant, to be able to sell everything that we have for Christ. Lord, I pray that you save us into your kingdom, that we will not subscribe to these fanatical, emotional news that's taking place around us, but instead we'll be students of the word, that we'll stand though the heavens fall, that we will be true to duty as the needle to the pole, that is what you want for us. I pray that we can live up to that standard. In Jesus' name, amen.